Our next guest has just completed a journey of epic proportions, travelling to every country in the world without the use of flight. In October 2013, Tor Pedersen embarked on his Once Upon a Saga project from Denmark, the country he was born. And from there, he has visited every country in the world in a single, unbroken journey. In fact, he completed that journey just last week. We were country 197 out of 203, if you're interested. And Tor is currently celebrating in the Maldives. Maldives? Maldives. Hey. Hi, Tor, how are you? (laughs) I'm all right. How are you doing? Good, thank you. My brain's not working. Maldives or Maldives? Uh, well, I'm Danish, so I'm sure my pronunciation is the one that's wrong. <laughs> I've been saying I've been saying Maldives. Yeah, okay. Maldives. I think that's, that's right. What I say. Take us back ten years. What made you embark on this project? Uh, momentarily insanity. I would <laughs> probably go. <laughs> nah, it was um, it was the the. What can you say? What can you say? It was the adventure within going out and doing something which had never been done before. Um, I, I came across the, this little bit of information that very few people had gone to every country in the world and uh, that no one had managed to complete it completely without flying. And it just sat there and somebody has to be the first. And I was just really intrigued. <laughs> but initially, I didn't think I was going to do it. I was just intrigued. But the the more I looked at it and the more I toyed around with the idea, uh, the more involved I got. And then eventually I set out. Yeah. What were your rules? What were your self-imposed rules? Well, I wanted to make sure that there was a clear definition so that if you say I have gone to every country in the world without flying, that we can all agree that that is exactly what has happened. Yeah. So how do you define something like that? And and, um, came up with three rules. So one is... You cannot fly at any point. I think that's almost obvious, but absolutely no flying. Don't get in a helicopter for a joyride and come back. Just no flying whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then the second rule is it has to be more than 24 hours. And that's a funny kind of rule, but you have to set the limit somewhere if you want to define what is a visit to a country. Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it uh-huh. one hour? Is it just to set foot on dry land? We went with 24 hours. And then to ensure that it wasn't going to be debated if this was one journey or two journeys or five journeys, we said, okay, I cannot return home until I reach the final country <laughs> or if I quit the project. So it's one unbroken journey. And uh, so putting these rules kind of defined, a, you sort of say, my own personal mental prison. So as, as time went on, you know, you don't feel the rules as much the first year or the second year, but, but as time goes on, you really feel confined. Yeah, well, um, how did you work out what order to do it in? Yeah, well, I have a background within shipping and logistics, so I do like to work out what's the, what's the best and most optimal solution. <laughs> and I yeah. bought a, a world map, and uh, I sat down with my sister, and I had a red pen, and I had a blue pen, and then uh, we did uh, two routes throughout the world. I decided I wanted to start home in Denmark and cross the border. And uh, unless I want to go across the bridge to Sweden, then the only land connection is to Germany. And then you see if you go left or you go right. You try to you try to make it as optimal as possible so that you don't have to crisscross through the same countries again and again and again because you're just losing time <laughs> doing so. 
So the idea was to start in uh, Europe and then eventually go northwest uh, over the North Atlantic to North America and South America and then do all of the Caribbean and with the Western Hemisphere done, come back east and then into Africa and then do Africa in one go, which is a tall order. Gosh, yes. And uh, and, uh, 54 countries in Africa took two years and three months and then come out and then Middle East, and then the Middle East brought me to Central Af- to Central Asia, and then Central Asia, South Asia, Southeastern Asia, and then eventually into that Pacific, South Pacific, and North Pacific, and then COVID nineteen changed uh, the order of the countries considerably. Oh and, gosh, uh, I yeah, didn't even think, I think about guys. the fact that you were doing this during a pandemic when there were pretty severe rules about where you could and couldn't go. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what happened was I was on board a ship in the the North Pacific from FSM, Federated States of Micronesia, trying to get to Palau. And the company I was collaborating with, they couldn't bring me straight from FSM to Palau. So their solution was to take me up to Hong Kong. And then I would sit there for four days transit and wait for a second ship that could take me to Palau. And that worked really well for me. I thought that was an optimal solution. So I got on that ship, went up to Hong Kong, then the pandemic broke out. And two years later, <laughs> I left Hong Kong. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tor, I don't know where to start. Um, first of all, the list, 203 countries. Is that how many countries there are in the world? And, and did that list change at all over the 10 years? Well, um, yeah, it actually did. It did a little bit. So the newest country in the world is South Sudan, and uh, they came into the light in 2011. And I set out in 2013. Okay. So there are no new countries since I left home. But I did actually, not many people know this, I left with a list of 201. And then uh, very early, I decided I'm also going to include the Faroe Islands and Greenland. So I bumped it up to 203. But the thing about how many countries there are in the world is we simply can't agree. So the, mm. the United Nations has, uh, they will give you 193, or 193 United Nation, Nation membership countries. And then they have two observer states. So that can bring you up to 195. And then the Olympics is typically 206 countries. So there's this gap between 195 and 206. Yeah. And you can, you can go way above that. So it's really what you define, is it a sovereign country or not? Kosovo is a super interesting example because Kosovo is recognized by more than 100 countries that have UN status, and yet it's not recognized by the UN. That's very interesting. Did you manage to spend 24 hours in Vatican City? I did. I did. I spent 24 hours and 17 minutes. So back back in the day when I was in the Vatican... The the rules were slightly different within the Vatican, and um, there's this perimeter that sort of it's the edge of 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 the the Vatican between the columns that hold up this. Um, I don't know what the proper terms are. There's it's it's an old building, and you have these massive white columns that they hold up a roof that uh, runs around the edge of the the, the plaza, and and there you would find homeless people lying at night. Knowing that the that the police in Rome could not touch them because they were uh-huh. not in Rome, they were within the Vatican. But because they were right on the fringe of it all, then the guards within the Vatican they wouldn't touch them either because it didn't really matter. They were just lying there, right at the edge between <laughs> the Vatican and Rome. 
And uh, yeah, back then I could lie down between those homeless people and then uh, sleep because the Vatican closes at night. That's sort of an issue if you want to spend 24 hours. They close around 11 in the evening and open around 6 in the morning. <laughs> so you have to hide somewhere. But since then, they've changed that rule to for terror security or something like that. So now they chase the homeless people away. What was your experience in New Zealand? I love New Zealand. And it, it wasn't the first time I came to New Zealand. So I had, let's say, an even better experience the first time I came because I was free and I was a tourist and I went and saw and did what I wanted on the North Island and the South Island. This time I had a really, really rough time <laughs> with New Zealand. First of all, when I came to New Zealand, you were in between your opening phases. So you had yeah. opened the borders to those who were willing to fly, but you still had the doors closed for those who came on board yachts or ships and, and so on. So I had to negotiate. I tried to get through to immigration and to customs. And um, it isn't easy to to try to negotiate. And, you know, everyone just says, why don't you wait a few months and everything will open up. But eventually I had some help from someone within customs that found so, a paragraph <laughs> that, that meant that because I was coming as a passenger, not a seafarer on board a container ship, which is mm. a working ship, then there was sort of a, a back door and I was welcome to arrive into New Zealand. But then what happened was that the ship I came on, they had to have their hull cleaned once a year due to regulations within New Zealand and keeping the waters clean and everything pristine. And for some reason, they hadn't cleaned the hull within a year. They were hoping that they could do it with divers once they approached New Zealand. Um, so we, we had to stay 12 miles out. That's like 20 kilometers, 22 kilometers out. And then there was a typhoon on the other side of New Zealand that Gosh. was sending some waves in our direction. So we ended up drifting for some 20 days before they could send divers out. And then the divers cleaned the hull. And then we finally came in. And then it was raining and it was cold and it was windy. And I couldn't find a ship to take me away from New Zealand. I had to get up to Vanuatu. But then after a good while, someone tipped me off that the uh, these wonderful people that work for YWAM, Youth with a Mission. They had a ship called YWAM Koha that uh, they were preparing to go to Fiji and do some dentistry on the outer islands. And I rushed over to them and I talked to them. And they thought I had an interesting story. They took me on board and I managed to leave New Zealand. Yeah, so, I, we haven't really talked much about that, but but of course your your travel has been by ship. Was it? I mean, I imagine there were some fairly uncomfortable journeys. Yeah, yeah, the, for sure there have been some, but there have also been a lot of very comfortable journeys. I've, I've been on board 37 container ships throughout this, which in itself is pretty extraordinary. And these container ships are often very, very comfortable as long as you're a passenger. Oh, so yeah. You're, you're not put to work. It's sort of like a three-star hotel. You have your own cabin, so you have a, a bed and you have a window and a closet and a desk and... You have uh, food is served for you three times a day, and I find the food to be good in most cases. Sometimes the seafarers come. Yes, but, but I don't I'm, know why I pictured you. I didn't know why I pictured you sleeping <laughs> in a container. Um, yeah, a, a lot of people asking, how did you fund it? Well, it's been funded by Ross Energy and by Geop, and these are two Danish companies that uh, deal with geothermal energy. And uh, there's a budget set for twenty US dollars per day. But as an average, 20 US dollars, they cover transportation, accommodation, meals, and visas. And it's held up pretty good as, a, as an average. And then in addition, 
to because they do not quite cover all $20 per day. So in addition to that, I've been receiving donations from my followers. I've done some speaking gigs, um, written some articles and yeah. So it's a bit of a patchwork in terms of where the money has come from. Scariest experience? Mm, there have been a few. I, I would have to say being at gunpoint in the middle of the night in Central Africa in front of three men that were drunk out of their mind and armed to their teeth and hostile and vicious. Uh, I, for sure, I thought that was that was those were the last seconds of my life, and I didn't know that I would have that I would find a way out of it. I, I really truly thought that was the end of the line. So that would that was the most scary. So sorry to hear that. Um, you must be feeling mm. extremely pleased and proud, and possibly a bit relieved that it's all over. I am happy to be at the other end of it. Um, this is the kind of project which is interesting to talk about, <laughs> but it's not fun to be in it. Um, so, especially when you want to leave the project, and that the first two years were pretty were quite all right. And there's still a lot of adventure and going forward. But then after about two years, I got full. So what, what I, what I say is it's sort of like if maybe you like chocolate, but if you can only eat chocolate, <laughs> then there will come a day yeah. when you don't like chocolate anymore. And that was about two years for me. And then beyond that, I didn't want to give up on the goal, but you still have to do all the visas. You still have to sit in the buses and the trains. You still have to do the social media. You still have to do this and this and that and so on. So just transition into 99% work eventually. And uh, yeah, so so I'm very happy that I pulled through and got to the other end of it and solved everything that needed to be solved and and everything. Yeah, but 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 reality is also that it's been a lot of work. It's truly been a lot of hours and a lot of effort. And I put a lot of resources into it. And I haven't had a break. I haven't had a couple of days to sit and reflect on, on all of it yet. So since I reached the Maldives, it's just been full on. People flew in and I had to be social. I've done more than 20 interviews at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm coordinating because I'm traveling home over land and sea. So I'm also coordinating the onward journey, getting back home from New Zealand. So I haven't really had time to realize that it actually is over. So give me a few more days and we'll see. (laughs) Good to talk to you. Thanks very much for sharing some of your story. I could talk to you all day. Uh, The website, if people want to see more about the journey, onceuponasaga.dk slash journey and tour. Come back to New Zealand sometime soon. Oh, I will definitely. Many Danes live in New Zealand. We love your country, so I will be back someday. Great stuff. Uh, Tor Peterson, who has travelled to every country in the world without using flight, and it's taken him 10 years and he didn't go home at all in that time.